0: five four three two one hello again and welcome to another episode of only the penitent shall pass podcast I'm your host Kenneth and master John fellas will be with me in just a moment as always sound a little bit like a broken record but we really do appreciate and we always want to open the episode by thanking our listeners for sharing our podcasts with your friends and family and relatives i cannot emphasize enough how thankful we are because each week the numbers of listeners grow and we are entirely indebted to you our listeners who've shared our podcasts because to be quite frank john and i are both pretty busy and we don't have the time to uh spend 40 hours of work running 40 hours a week running a social media and advertising our podcast and but just through word of mouth the podcast has grown and we are so thankful to you ultimately we're thankful to God we're thankful to God that he has blessed our endeavors. Uh, Today's episode the cost of discipleship we're going to build off of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book which was written quite a long time ago and, uh, and you can find us, before we get, get to the podcast, let me remind you, you can find us on the web at www.onlythepenitent.com. And here we are again, John, uh, today's episode, The Cost of Discipleship. We are going to uh, look a little bit into uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book. For those who aren't familiar with Bonhoeffer, he was a Lutheran minister in the early uh, 20th century. And uh, Bonhoeffer was eventually executed by the Nazis. Uh, wh- how did you come to uh, learn about Bonhoeffer and his book, John? Did it just you, you were at a bookstore one day and it fell off the shelf?
1: Yeah, more or less. Um, no, I just heard people talk a lot about him. And I think when I was younger, I heard so many people talk about it, I figured it wasn't worth reading. But then uh, eventually I got around to reading it, and it's just uh, it's a phenomenal book. Um, really gets the heart of a lot of problems we have in the church today and sort of misconceptions about what is grace and how we should live and what is repentance and you know, good stuff like that.
0: So, so for Bonhoeffer, and, and actually before we dive into the book, it seems like it's a good uh, topic in the midst of 2020 since we're finding out that being a disciple of Christ is quite costly. Uh, standing up for biblical principles can alienate us from churches that uh, think we're being too radical, uh, even though I, we would both insist we're not actually being radical, we're we're simply holding to very traditional, historic Christian principles, and it's that many of the churches throughout the world are being radical, and they're going against traditional Christianity. Now, now, bon, Bonhoeffer opens up his book, "The Cost of Discipleship," and he talks about costly grace. John, uh, for him, for him, costly grace uh, was connected to, uh, I. I to, to borrow his words, really, the, the church's apostasy, the modern church's apostor, uh, apostasy. Uh, so if, I'm, I'm going to read from him uh, the book. He writes The world finds a cheap covering for its sin. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification. Of the sinner. so it seems as though uh, now I'm I'm going to throw this over to you in a moment. I'm I'm going to throw out one application that I see in 2020. I, I'm I'm dismayed to see a lot of churches say, "Well, we're justified by 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 grace and faith, sola fide, sola gratia, and therefore it's okay if we wear masks on Sunday. It's okay if we wear gloves when we distribute communion." It's okay if we disgrace traditions we've been to, for doing for 2,000 years. God will forgive us. And, and, and I'm going to say Bonhoeffer would say, no. We, the cost of discipleship is that we stand strong. We don't capitulate to the culture.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it is sort of ironic how many uh, pastors, so, you know, how many pastors, how many Christians... They love this book, and they'll talk ad nauseum about Bonhoeffer. And here's a man who recognized that the Third Reich and Adolf Hitler were sort of this like embodiment of evil on Earth, right? It was like, what is it? What does you know governance and authority look like, completely separated from God? Um, but then when it comes down to it, people that, that they read this book their whole lives, and then when the government governor is like, all right, you have to stay home you can't worship God, they just say, oh, okay, right, you know, someone might get the sniffles, so we have to stay home, you know. Um, and so, there is a certain irony there, right? Um, it,
0: it, it It is, it is ironic because the men of, of God in 2020 who are resisting the the draconian rules. Men like John MacArthur, men like Doug Wilson. I think of men such as the archbishops in the Anglican diocese that were familiar in 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 the South. These men are unsung heroes. I mean, these these men are saints uh, because, in the face of what tyrants are doing in England and Australia, and Canada and pretty much every country on earth the majority of the men of the cloth are capitulating and bonhoeffer is a man a lutheran minister who not only didn't capitulate he was eventually arrested by the nazis in murder in cold blood they killed him i think they kept him in the concentration camp for a year or so and then they killed him and that, was- and that go ahead sorry
1: Oh, I was just going to say, and that was after he had already fled and went to New York, where he was going to teach, and he felt there was something wrong in his spirit. He's like, he thought, I have to be back in Germany opposing this evil in some way, and he went back, and he opposed it, and, you know, to the death.
0: For for Bonhoeffer, he goes on to write about discipleship and obedience. He, he writes only he who believes is obedient and only he who is obedient believes and i want to tie that into what jesus said uh, so many people have always asked me because I, i've done i've worked so much in the counseling field uh, the subject of friendship comes up and people will ask well how do you know who your true friend is and i, I always quote jesus And Jesus says, you are my friend, you who are faithful until the end. And I'm going to tie that verse of Christ into what what Bonhoeffer is saying here. And Bonhoeffer is saying is, if you're a believer, you're going to be obedient to the words of Scripture. You're going to resist paganism. And if you're obedient to Scripture and you resist paganism, then you're a believer.
1: Yeah, you can't. You can't separate the two. There's a sense where the word faith, the word fide, right, in the Latin, or pisteia in the Greek, has to do with loyalty, trustworthiness, right? So there's, not, there's, certain, there's a certain way you live your life that accompanies faith. So faith is a certain knowledge, right? So you might know that you're saved by faith, that you're justified by grace, so on. You might know these doctrines. You believe that God is one, right? Who is that? Is it the Apostle James or is that Jude? Oh, well, the demons, they they believe as much and they tremble, right? So just this knowledge in your mind isn't enough. And I think that's part of what Bonhoeffer is getting at. And when we go back and we read through the Gospels, it seems very obvious because Jesus is constantly giving commands, very particular commands. You know, he says, sure. um, Bonhoeffer he, he's talking about the call of Levi who's the tax collector and what is Jesus he just says to him come follow me and then the next scene Levi has left, left the tax collecting booth and he's sitting there with Jesus so Bonhoeffer he likes to he points out that a lot of theologians they want to separate these two scenes well no no man would ever do that right no one would ever just follow another man and leave leave his life behind and leave his job. Levi was making good money, right? Well, right. Um, but the the truth of it is that you can't separate that. Where when the Messiah, when Christ says, follow me, some men, they just get up, they leave everything and they follow him. And I think that's the sort of part of the book here, right? And that's exactly what discipleship means.
0: I'm reminded of the disciple Jesus calls and that he responds to Jesus says, first, first, let me go bury my father and then I'll follow you. And from what I understand, the proper exegesis of that scripture is, is not that the man's father had recently died and he needed to go bury the father literally in a funeral uh, because but that the man said, Well, I am I'm, I'm the heir to my dad's estate. I need to wait until he dies so I can take care of the estate and then get things in order. And then once everything's order, in order, then I'll follow you. Jesus' response to the man is let the dead bury the dead. You know, f- come follow me. And that's a that's a high cost. It means you need to focus on Christ first. And if I could take this into a, into a, a particular area that, that I was thinking, I've had a lot of conversations for the last couple of decades with people, and it's always befuddled me how the number one reason people move is always because of uh, a house. They, there's a particular house they want to buy, and then they move. <laughs> now, now, the second move is because of work. The second reason people move is because of work. Um, And what's odd to me about both of those is that as a Christian, it would seem like our primary motivation in everything we do should be the church, the body of Christ, right? Not like work would be secondary. Uh, Our house would be secondary. I'm our attitude should be, well, I'll I'll live in a little shack if God wants me to, to be in this particular city to serve Him, right? Am I am I going in a weird direction?
1: Well, no, I think that's a good direction. How many people think? I mean, we could think of a million examples, right? To serve us, but yeah, how many people think? Oh, I'm going to buy a house that's close to the church so I can spend more time in community with my brothers in Christ, right? Nobody, very few people. Do that, right? The reason is always like, oh, we like this house, right? Or this neighborhood seemed nice, something along those lines. But, but we can think of a million examples of that. So,
0: the Bonhoeffer goes on to say, uh, obedience to the call of Jesus never lies within our own power. If, for instance, we give away all our possessions. That act is not in itself the obedience he demands. In fact, such a step might be the precise opposite of obedience to Jesus. Uh, the step into the situation where faith is possible is not an offer we can make to Jesus, but always his gracious offer to us. So so Bonhoeffer's clear thoroughly reformed. Uh, in that regard, doesn't mean that's the only way to look at Scripture. I'm Reformed, but I'm a very laid-back, Reformed <laughs> theologian. Uh, but I, I, I do think that's important because this way God gets the glory. I don't think uh St. Francis would have said, look at what I did in my vow of poverty, and I've given up my materialism. I think St. Francis would say, God called me to do that." That's a that's a big distinction.
1: Yeah, I think in most of the saints throughout church history, they sound reform in some way. So they, when you ask them about their walk with Christ, it sounds basically what the reform doctrine is. No, every God did everything. It was all God. I'm humble. Yeah, you know, I'm just trying to be humble, humble, but I'm sinful and I can't do it on my own. Right. So no matter how we look at it there's some there's some truth to it and that's maybe where a lot of christians could come and find some middle ground because i think most most catholics would admit what i just said about the saints is true even if they don't confess uh solo fide the
0: the the where, the way modern reformed churches go in the wrong direction is they seem to just be very focused on Theology—they seem to be very focused on doctrine, which are all good things. But then you look at the life of their church, and it seems they're—they're they're pretty dead. I hear—I hear your little one in the background. Oh
1: yeah, that's—that's
0: that's a good oh, thing. I, I that's guess that's a, a good, good thing.
1: thing. Yeah, if you—if you hear any screaming, that's just my little guy, probably yeah.
0: <laughs> So, so uh, I, I think the mistake for a while is that the Reformed Church has been. Too much fighting a a war for against the non-reformed Christians rather than saying, Look, our whole world view shouldn't begin and end with predestination. It should first begin and end with what we talked about in our last episode, the 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 truths we confess, which which we went over in the Nicene Creed. And and it's all about being disciples of Christ. I mean that's that's what the core of the New Testament is go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of all men it doesn't say go therefore into all world and and uh, preach it everybody but make disciples and making disciples Bonhoeffer says at the core of it is teaching them well what is the cost of being a disciple the cost is you got to give up your whole life whatever your ambitions were before they're now secondary to what God wants you to do and that's a hard thing to come to terms with.
1: Right. There's this very damning critique of what Bonhoeffer sees in the Reformed Church in his time, which is that, sure, we have a, a what we're saying is a good doctrine, right? But how, how are the people, how is this doctrine lived out? And, and he says something like, the Reformed Church has become, more worldly than the papist church that it sought to shake off, basically bought through the means of cheap grace. So once you just accept, oh, well, I'm justified by grace, then you just go on living your life in any way you see, see, you know, that pleases you. And and that's sort of the problem where the model for what costly grace is, what it means to give up your life is Jesus Christ who literally gave his life. So that's the model, that's the goal, the standard by which we should judge any of our actions as Christians. It's like, well, am I doing this to the point of crucifixion, right? To the point of giving up my literal physical life. And if we, if we can't say that, that's the direction we're tending, then we should stop and reconsider what we're doing
0: it's it's remarkable even in the episodes that we don't talk about 2020 you can't help but, but
1: I'm trying really hard these not to biblical... not to talk about <laughs> no, please, well because well
0: because it, it well because it's so hard to talk about discipleship and the cost of discipleship you're the one who, who suggested we do Bonhoeffer's book and it's, it's like how can you not mention 2020 and what happened to Bonhoeffer because it's the elephant in the room. It's for God's sake. This man died. He was executed by the Nazis.
1: Uh, Yeah.
0: Because he he wasn't going to capitulate to the Nazi culture. He wasn't going to capitulate to the authoritarians. And here you and I are sitting in a country, America, where uh, on the face of it, I think Nine, nine, nine out of every ten churches have capitulated. And I'm just I'm sitting here week after week saying, What is going on? Are there really this few true churches that are gonna remain faithful to the to the creeds and the confession and the historic traditions? And and tradition's a big word there because they're not even being faithful to traditions when they alter the traditions and add masks to the Sunday worship.
1: Well, I think I think it's hard for people to get a whole historical perspective on this. So it sounds like you're comparing what's happening now to Nazi Germany. And to which I would say, yes, that's a very good comparison. But I think a lot of people, they would say, well, I don't see 100, you know, 10 million, 20 million people murdered. Well, the majority of those murders took place during the war. Hitler was in power for 10 years or something like the Nazis weren't half as evil on day one as they were on the last day. I mean, maybe they weren't spirit, but the evil, it grows and it grows. And so Bonhoeffer, the longer he fought against the Nazis, the more evil he realized they are. So I think, I think if we could stop and just say, okay, whatever's going on, It's trying to destroy the church, one, which should be of the utmost importance to Christians. But it's trying to destroy our entire way of life in America, both the good parts of it and the bad parts of it. And so if we're not at least thinking like, well, where should I stand in this rather than saying, oh, I'll just go along with it. Like, oh, they're just trying to keep people safe. Well, that's what tyrants always said. No tyrant has ever said anything else. No, we're just doing this for your benefit, you know. The tyrant doesn't come out and say, "Oh, okay, well, you know what? Um, I'm evil and I'm going to take all your rights and take everything for myself, and you should be okay with it." They, they don't say that, right? They say, "Oh, this is for your good."
0: for For those who might wonder, Kenny, you're just are you, Kenny? Are you just living in a bubble? I, I just wanted to throw this out there. Uh, I'm, I am actually in regular conversation with uh, people who disagree with me about wearing masks on Sunday, uh, uh, a minister who I've known virtually my whole life, uh, older, older man of God, uh, who has been a very, uh, consistent Christian man in my life. And has always been there for me. He called me up, uh, this morning and we had a conversation and he, he's, the parish he attends uh they wear masks on sunday and and distance each other six feet apart and uh we've talked about this multiple times he and i and he he calls me a little bit of a rabble rouser he says it with affection in his voice i know he's not being mean but i'm open to talking to people who disagree with me Uh, i just don't see any way around this and when I look at someone like Bonhoeffer, he was willing to die and we're not even being asked to die. We're not, we're not being told in New York, New York or Pennsylvania or California, the ministers aren't being told that if you uh, don't wear a mask on Sunday, we're going to, we're going to hang you. Now they might get fined. They might have health department, Gestapo come in. I'm not sure what will happen, but they're not even being asked to die for the faith at this point. And that's what bothers me, is that this isn't even the kind of persecution the early church faced when they were thrown into the Colosseum. It's remarkable. It is,
1: that's a good word for it, remarkable. Um, well, I, I guess it's the question is where does that leave all of us who have, I guess what they'd call now an, an alternative view of what's going on Are we going to find some way to speak out like Bonhoeffer did or are we just going to sort of go along with it because, you know, yeah, I'll put it like this. I'll try to like rephrase the point I was just making Bonhoeffer. He spoke out against the Nazis for years and they didn't immediately arrest him or kill him. Right. The Nazis, they were very awful and cruel to people who weren't Germans But um, to people that were Germans, they didn't just immediately come and take you in the dead of night and kill you because you said a bad word about them. Now, by the end of the but as time went on, the more you spoke against the Nazis, well, one word could get you thrown in jail. One word could get you killed. And that's so that's what ends up happening to Bonhoeffer because he wouldn't stop. And I think what's going on now in the world. Right. And this is a global phenomenon, It's not just in America, not just in Europe not just in China, it's everywhere in the world. There are certain people that have a similar philosophy to the Nazis. It sounds very different, but the, the core of the philosophy is this, that we as humans can establish a society completely autonomous from God, completely for ourselves, where we give no glory to God, where we make all the rules, we make all the morals. Um, and that is the same sort of evil is it going to look the same as the nazis no no it's not but it's the same thing at its foundation so if we don't start right now and we say okay we're not going to put up with this we're going to try to at least keep our country i guess i can't speak for people in other countries then it could get that bad where you might say oh well now i see how bad it is I want to speak out, and it's, well, it's too late. There's not much you can do. You have to become a a spy like Bonhoeffer, and most of us just aren't as uh, suave as all that, right?
0: The Bonhoeffer talks about uh, the difference between carrying our yoke versus carrying the yoke of Christ, and many of us are weighed down, Bonhoeffer would say, by... I'll, I'll use my verbiage to modernize it a little bit uh, many of us are weighed down by by burdens that are self-inflicted we choose to be stressed out about the color of of the walls in your house or what what where to what purchases to make and or things at work that we choose to allow to consume up. and Here's what Bonhoeffer says when we're, we're consumed by these own burdens that are self-inflicted. He writes, we, we have a still heavier burden to carry, a yoke of our own choosing, the yoke of ourself. But Jesus invites all who travail and who are heavy laden to throw off their own yoke and to take his yoke on them. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light under his yoke. We are certain of his nearness and communion. It is he whom the disciple finds as he lifts up his cross. So, so what, so what Bonhoeffer saying on the one hand, yes, the road to to heaven is narrow. Do you find it? The the road to hell is wide. (laughs) The road to hell is paved with good intention, but the truth of the matter is, if we quit bearing the yoke of ourself and all of those self-inflicted burdens that we stress out about, the burden of Christ is actually a lot easier <laughs> in, in many ways. It sounds crazy because we, we're, we're commanded to pick up our cross and bear it daily, but but the reality is the Christian who, who frees himself of the self-inflicted worldly burden in Christ those burdens fall away and now the Holy Spirit bears that for. Him. And that's that's
1: awesome, yeah, right? No, that is awesome. Well, the 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 worldly burdens, there's always some element of sin in that in that, you know, worldly burden. And we don't realize that's what's destroying us. That's what's killing us. That's what's making us miserable. That's what you know, is the source of all our problems, is the separation from God. And so it's only through Christ that we're reunited to God. And it's so, so, so it, once you think it through, it, it makes perfect sense that, oh, it's actually easier to take up your cross, to be crucified to the world. It's actually easier to do these things because it's achieving our final destiny, to be with God.
0: The the Cost of Discipleship by Bonhoeffer, uh, I read many, many years ago as a teenager. Uh, what One of the things, after I read it, I immediately went and found a biography of his life, and then I, I read about him. You touched upon it momentarily, and that was, he was in New York. He didn't have to go back to Germany. He didn't have to go back to his people. He was from Germany. Bonhoeffer made that choice to go to the heart of the situation for the German people, and he lost his life. That, that is admirable. Not all of us are called to do the same thing that he, he, he did. Uh, some of us are called to go and preach in, in a strange land. Some are called to go back to their homeland. My, I want to be clear that I don't know what individual Christians are supposed to do. And if anyone tells you they do, I, I wouldn't trust them. <laughs> I wouldn't trust them. I would always go to the Holy Spirit and, and, and pray and, and seek out God's will for your life. Uh, so, so, in everything we're sharing, in every podcast, what John and I are trying to do is shoot for the principle, the larger principle not the particulars of what each individual Christian should do. And that's an important distinction to make because a lot of churches in the 20th century that I saw growing up, the ministers, the priests, they went in a a bad direction when they became too focused on the particulars and got away from the principle.
1: Yeah, there's, you know, we need to revive this notion of admonishment. So there's all these general principles that Christ lays down and then we can get right out of the gospels. But you as a Christian have to figure out where you stand in all of this. That's what he's just saying. Like whatever you do, just follow Christ. He he says, uh, there's no content to this, which is one, maybe a different way of saying exactly what you were just saying. I can't, when Christ calls you, no minister or Christian teacher can just give you the content of what that means. Okay. Well, here are all the boxes you have to check off and you're good to go. Right. Or here's the path, right? It's not like in you, when you're a kid, they say, okay, well, you're going to go to kindergarten then grade school, middle school, high school, college, you get a job, you get married, you have a baby, you buy a house, you retire, you die. There, there's no such Christian program. Uh, similar to that, you're actually in the world, and Christ is going to demand all sorts of things from you, and He's going to show you them when you need to see them, and you have to follow them. And you have to get rid of yourself, your self love, die to yourself, and just go and do them. Take up your cross, which, as Kenny pointed out, is actually easier than any other worldly scheme as amazing as that sounds even the most luxurious life you can imagine in the world is much harder than to carrying the cross
0: the the last uh before we wrap up here the last uh aspect of von book i wanted to uh, address is uh i'm going to read a little bit of a commentary by osterhoff He writes about Bonhoeffer's book, and about Bonhoeffer, Oscar Hoff writes, Bonhoeffer's intensive reading of the Old Testament caused him to stress the importance of the present earthly natural life. We live in the present in what Bonhoeffer called the penultimate, namely that which comes before the last thing. And from this position, we anticipate the ultimate, that is the resurrection of the dead and the world to come. We've talked about this before, John, uh, what Osterhoff is getting at, that we don't want to be the type of end times Christians who say, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasure lays beyond the blue. That's fine. That's true. We're storing up treasures in heaven, but we don't want to forget the other parts of scripture that say God placed us here in this earth, supposed to tend the earth. We're supposed to. To treat the earth properly, we're supposed to treat our communities properly. We're supposed to live in the present and build, contribute to building the kingdom in the present. The the kingdom is both a present reality and a future reality. And you you were talking about this in a conversation off the air earlier today, I believe.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know if this is exactly what I was mentioning earlier, but there's this ancient Christian saying. It's it goes, we are in the already. But not yet. So, what the kingdom is already present. It's already here. God is already redeeming all of creation through the resurrection, but it's not yet. It's not yet manifest to us, right? This is, we have this other ancient term, the parousia, right? Well, what does that mean? It means the manifestation. It it means that on the last day, God's going to make clear what everything is. So we kind of live in this in-between time. Like, it's ever since the days of Christ, we've been living in the, quote, last days. I think that's very important. Like, these are the last days of all of the earth, of all creation. And we're just waiting at any moment for Christ to come back. And so we, one, we live as if he could come back at any moment. But true, we actually are actively trying to build up his kingdom here we're trying to make that already present even though it's not fully yet here
0: well said that brings us to the end of the broadcast you can find us on the web at onlythepenitent.com you can email us think of the word only the penitent shall pass that's the name of the podcast take the first letter of each of those words the email is otpsp at protonmail.com Once again...